Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Is this uh, one of the first podcasts you've done? Yes. Yes, it is. So every time a guest comes on the podcast, I look at all different things. And one of yeah. the things I saw from you is one of the quotes that you live by, which for me, 100% is exactly what I live by. As your dad said it to you, which is never, ever, ever, ever give up. Yes. And I have always said to everyone, just from what I've understood, is that persistency is key in everything you have to do. 100%. But why do, you, why do you think that is good advice and why do you live by that? Well, it's good advice coming from him. He's given me lots of advice. The mm-hmm. other one in his Yorkshire accent was, don't fuck it up um, when <laughs> I went into good. Iceland. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's sort of testament to the fact that um, he is relentless in just keeping trying and, and yeah, failing loads and learning and iterating. And it's something that I've really kind of taken on board. And also as someone who's been so fortunate in life, you know, and has a lot of privilege, I want to take all of that privilege and run with it and make it the absolute mm. kind of best I can, whether that's in business or, or life or, you know, climbing, whatever it might be. Um, I, you know, I just want to kind of try as hard as I can and, and take all the good fortune I've got and make the most of it. Do you, do you remember the first time that we, well, this is, we've met. Do you remember the first time? Was that, that was, um, yeah, that was that guy Helly's thing, wasn't it? The, the Blue, Blue Earth, Earth Yeah, that's right. I didn't think you meant, I, I, I honestly, it was, it was, so, honestly, I was, but I honestly cringed when I did it. You were going to give a talk at something called Blue Earth Summit, which is an amazing kind of um, conference, which is all about sustainability and different mm. things. You were just, uh, you, were, you were about to do this talk and you were in the side, I was with my business partner and he said, you should go and say hi to him and invite him on uh, Richmond Podcast. And I thought, wow, you're about to go on. And so I ran backstage and said hi there i just want to shake your hand and, and you, you looked at me like who the hell is this prick like, as <laughs> oh soon, another groovy oh, yeah, another groovy <laughs> as soon as i was about to go on stage um which is amazing and so thank god you remember that but you 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 were so good on stage in the way that you um approached the room and spoke about things and i suppose what i admire is that that persistency you've done in what you um want to achieve in iceland and sustainability and what you're doing that sort of persistency is key when it comes to business you have to have a direction you have to have a destination of where you're going and always head towards that and i think in life loads of people don't realize that Mm. but where did you realize that you have to have that destination you need to head towards it um, yeah, I mean, I, it, so I haven't always kind of followed the, the the standard route and I didn't go automatically into Iceland. I wanted to plow my own furrow and, and prove to myself as well as other people I could kind of succeed on my own account. So I moved to Poland and it was really hard. Like no Why one, did you move there? Um, they just joined the EU, 40 million people, really well educated, size of Germany, so exciting in terms of a business opportunity. And I was only, I was in my like early mid twenties, but I wanted to find my fortune. So I set up an office on my own in this like windowless office in Warsaw 
Um, and yeah, we ended up with my then girlfriend, our wife, we ended up living there for over three years full time. And I built up a property business, um, which I then sold to a, a UK uh, institution. And that's kind of the happy ending. But in the middle, we had the global credit crunch and liquidity dried up. And I thought I'd lost, you know, a ton of money for the investors. But actually, we came through it. And it was that resilience, you know, learning hard yards, tough knocks along the way, really kind of put me in good stead for single-mindedly setting a destination, like, you know, more recently, um, becoming plastic free or removing palm oil, whatever it might be, mm. and, and making sure everyone is galvanized towards that North Star and working your damnedest to, to get there. You might not get there, but at least you know the direction. You're going to try your best to do so. That's amazing. I didn't realize that was part of your story. That That's insane because for, from, you know, if people were to research you, understand you, CEO of Iceland, yeah. your dad, Malcolm, um, also he set up Iceland. He found it in 1970. Yeah, with my um, mum, who thought of the name and worked on the till and he sat the shelves and added up the takings at the end of the first week. He borrowed 30 quid from his mum to pay for the first month's rent and he paid it back, obviously. That is insane. Yeah. So he had this idea to set up a something called Penguin or Iceland that, and he borrowed 30 quid to pay for the rent and he just did, they did it, they complete themselves. Yeah, totally themselves. And they, they weren't sure whether it was going to work out or not. So they set up a fish and chip shop at the same time to hedge their bets. So they'd work in Iceland in the day and then uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, late night till like two in the morning, they'd be frying fish and, and, uh, and chips and serving piss people in Rill or wherever the chip shop was. And then after a year, they realized they didn't need the chip shop anymore. Oh my God, that grit to just yeah, go. Totally. And, and this is a guy who came from nothing. You know, his dad died when he was very young, very working class roots, you know, pretty, I mean, for his mum to lend him 30 quid back then, an awful amount of money, you know, bit yeah. like a, and a big endorsement, I suppose, in the face she had in him, but it was a big gamble. And what was really nice, his mum was the one actually who made it all possible because she was a teacher. And they survived off her salary and enabled him to be an entrepreneur and try these different harebrained schemes. That is insane. Yeah. I, th that's obviously where the persistency comes because you know, I, I, as a, a business owner myself, I understand the to to run a to run one business is in, impossible. The, the man management, the mm. uh, logistics, the the late nights, the early mornings, all those different things to run two businesses alongside each other and just have that sort of entrepreneurial sort of business mind. That's insane. Yeah. And no wonder he had that sort of idea of, right, you never, ever, ever give up. Because I think that's the thing which I, 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 I like the most is that most people do. They give up. They think that if you don't achieve something in the first year, okay, that's it, it's done, it's not going to work. But actually what I truly believe, it takes 10 years to build a brand, maybe 100%. more. Yeah, and I think maybe in this country we don't quite have that resilience and, you know, that ability to to embrace failure and, and learn from it and keep going. You know, the, the Americans are great at that, great entrepreneurial nation. Um, but actually, yeah, I mean, he's, he's never been daunted by, um, by the setbacks. And there has been many. You know, the history of Iceland over 52 years has not been a linear line of success. You know, it's... Um, He's owned all of it, none of it. He's been kicked out. It's been a public company, a private company. It's been a real kind of classic swashbuckling entrepreneurial roller coaster ride. Um, but but it's been great, and it and it certainly taught me a lot. And yeah, um, it taught me that I didn't just want to go automatically into it, and I wanted to do my own thing on on my own account. And that property business is is still going. So Bywater Properties, we've got a, a big big London portfolio now, and I'm chairman. And it's something I, I remain like really proud of. When did you decide that you wanted to go into the family business? Because, you know, that is, uh, 
Because did you, I, I suppose what it was is that that's the sort of easy route to go down, right? Is that, okay, if not the easy route, that's yeah, the whole yeah, thing. No, yeah. but, but you could, exactly. you know, that's the thing yeah. you don't, but you didn't want to do that. No. And I heard also that you were stacking shelves, you were learning the logistics of the whole business, even before you were ever part of... Do you know, it was, the, it was amazing and I made friends for life. I mean, firstly, anyone who sits upon high in the head office needs to know the reality. But secondly, any politician should do some time in our shops, you know, and is the the real world. And, and also it's very humbling because you appreciate how hard people work for me, for us, for this institution, for this family. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was just, I, I'm just like full of admiration. I absolutely loved it. And I did that full time properly for, for a year. And I had this weird dual life where on a Monday I'd go into Mayfair to the property business, wear a suit and tie. And then Tuesday to Saturday, I'd have a clip on tie and a name badge and go to Iceland in, in Greenford. <laughs> And stack shells. It that was, is uh, wild. Yeah, but it was um, it was brilliant, and I really, you know, because I only had a, a passing knowledge about the business that I'd heard from around the the dining room table, yeah. listening to mum and dad, but I never had any hands on direct experience. So it was great to actually learn about it from the front line, and and I'm so glad I, d- I did it that way. That's insane. So you were running a property business at the same time as learning about um, running a super running a supermarket chain or just working in supermarkets doing that at the same time because that that's sort of because that's very you sort of feel like you've got the mixture you're sort of an entrepreneur and a businessman combined yeah because typically I, what happens you find people who are businessmen they go to logistics my business partner he's a great businessman he's not the greatest entrepreneur he doesn't quite like risk but actually you like a sort of sample of both of them i suppose so because i've grown up in such an entrepreneurial household so yeah. I, i'd heard those stories and those tales and just was desperate to like do my own thing and, and be a part of it but i got to my early 30s and two things happened dad had bought the business back with a consortium so once again it kind of found felt like a family business but then secondly my late mum had just become diagnosed with earlier onset Alzheimer's and it you know it felt like this was a business that was as much part of her legacy as anyone else's and I wanted to carry that legacy on and learn about it and add to it in whatever whatever way I could and you know I I thought maybe my own time might be quite limited as well because early onset's quite hereditary so I I, you know I I decided I want to do it and I went to see dad and I said um I'd like I'd like to work at Iceland and he said don't bother collect rents (laughs) I don't, I don't know if it was like reverse psychology or what. But, Is uh, that what he said? I, yeah, he did. I, yeah. and uh, But it worked because I ended up going going in hell for leather. But um, yeah, it, retail is a, you know, you'll, you'll, know, you'll know from your yeah. business, like re- retail is a hard game. and um, Margins suck. Margins suck. They yeah. suck. Although I hear margins on premium price suites are quite good. <laughs> I wish. Do you know what we need to do? I wish. We need I to, wish. We need to democratize candy kittens. We need to get it into the hands of my customers. Yes. We, but would you want candy kittens in Iceland? 100% we would, without Good. a doubt. Good. Well, why do you think you're on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's it, it's interesting, right? Because, um, and I want to talk about your mum, and I want to talk about the amazing thing, you're, you're climbing Everest to mm. raise a million quid. I want to get into that. But the, the thing that really interested me is that you've also set up, um, partnered with Kate Middleton on Shaping Us campaign. Yes. Which is amazing, which is all about... Um, <clears throat> Well, you can explain it better. So what is the Shaping Us campaign all about? Well, there's there's more and more kind of body of research that shows that the early years are so formative. I mean, I knew they were important, but they're essential, like the ages of naught to five in terms of developing the rest of your life's outcomes. So learning key skills like uh, resilience, you know, and um, and the ability to, to keep going and perseverance. Um, 
but also kind of social emotional skills as well, what we're doing now. And if you look at our business, yes, we're a family business, but actually we're a business of families. We employ 30,000 people and it's just, you know, relationships, it's people. And those interactions are so, so important. And we're, we're a community of a thousand shops where we've got 5 million customers a week. And actually, you know, I, I, I um, met with Her Royal Highness a, a, a year or two ago and we started talking about it. She's become really interested in this space. And it's actually, you know, our, our customers, our communities are exactly the sort of people that she wants to kind of outreach to. So mm. it's a fairly unlikely partnership. And, and I'm obviously only one of, of many businessmen and women who, who are um, working with her on this. But actually, there are ways that business can tap into their employee base, their customer base, um, to work with the kids of our customers, to start engaging them more, to talk about language and emotions, and ultimately to help um, improve their life's chances. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think a, a, a deep question, and maybe you don't answer, and please, have you ever done therapy? Mm. You have? Okay, same. Yeah. I, so I've done therapy. And for me, it was just about self-awareness and understanding stuff and going through maybe anxieties and things like that. And if you ever go to therapy, you'll know, right? It, it's always about childhood and understanding that. And for me, it's, it makes so much sense. What happened when we're kids really sticks with us. Yeah. The, the way we're loved, the way we see things, resilience, um, entrepreneurial spirit, whatever it exactly. is. And, and, and that's why I'm so amazed at that. So I wanted to know what you thought then that do you really think those first five years the first eight years of your life are fundamentally important for the rest of your life i think they are and like i said there's like more and more research now which the royal foundation has been funding been working with sort of top uh, neuroscientists um, and researchers and um it's increasingly apparent that they're absolutely essential and uh, you know you don't want to be fatalistic but then again a lot of life's outcomes are literally baked in 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 the first five years um, so yeah, you know, uh, it, it's, I guess it's about parenting, but it's about, you know, how you talk, how you communicate, how you interact. Um, and I think we've all got a part to play in that, you know, it's, it's not just say, oh, it's down to charity to sort that or, you know, down to, down to, uh, the princess of Wales. Um, but how do businesses help? <clears throat> so well, how, how does Iceland as a business help that? Yeah. Well, we, 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 we kind of looked at, at our stores and the customers that come through we are obviously a focal point where families will come at least once a week uh, with their kids. And actually, sometimes the, the kids are quite stressed uh, and the, the parents get anxious. And we've done our own research, which shows that uh, parents feel the most judged in supermarkets. I know that from myself. Like when my Why? kids were young. Well, if if like my, she'll hate me for saying this, she's 13 now, but my eldest, like when she was two and lay down on the floor, refusing to move, having like an epic tantrum, I can feel the eyes in the back of my head and people judging me. Um, so it's how we kind of communicate to our wider customer base. And we did this with dementia because uh, a lot of customers get frustrated with elderly people in front of them who may be struggling with the change or whatever. And we did this cartoon basically saying, you know, but with a cartoon of an elderly person at Till saying, you know, please, um, please be patient. You know, I've got dementia. And actually that really kind of unlocks a conversation with our customers. And I think wow. we can do the same with kids as well. That's amazing. Um, you, you're, you're speaking about dementia and, and the amazing thing you're doing at the moment is you're trying to, you're climbing Mount Everest. Yes. With the legend that is Kenton Cool. I've got a total man crush on that guy. Dude, that guy is sexy. <laughs> I don't know what it is about him. Well, his name. <laughs> I said to him, I was like, are you name? Is, is that, that real? It's like his, I don't know, like his rapper name. I don't know what it is. Kenton Cool is such a good name. Um, he came on the podcast. He was great. You know, he, um, he knows that mountain like oh. no one else. And he only does pretty much one person a year to, yeah. to go up because he thinks that's the safest way to do things. And 
And if you want to listen to that episode, you can. It's it's in our archive. But you're climbing it, and you're doing it all for your late mum, who had on uh, early onset dementia. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that and dementia and living with it. I, I've never experienced anyone, thankfully, mm. who's ever had it, so I don't understand it. So, to, so for my naivety, explain what it's like. And interestingly, I, I think therefore you're in the minority because most people now through friends or you know family or extended family are touched by it in some way really because it is a, a complete pandemic you know there's um you know there's now over a million people who have it and that's at a cost of tens of billions to the economy but as we get older it's also um something that that's um rapidly increasing as well so it's it's something that's getting worse and worse for which we don't yet have a cure is it genetic uh, it can be. So some kind of rare dementias, you know, mum had a rare form of dementia early onset. She was diagnosed when she was 62, 63, oh, so um, which is so young. Um, so young. And she probably wasn't right for a few years before that. And if you think of all of mum and dad's, you know, work side by side, their perseverance, building this iconic brand, when they got into their 60s, that's when they should have enjoyed the fruits of their labor. Yeah. And they couldn't. You know, it's an absolute tragedy. And and we were very lucky because we could afford all the care we wanted. We could keep mum at home. I have no idea how anyone else copes. Um, and it's obviously a huge burden on, on the adult social care system. Mm. And, uh, you know, families become carers and, and there's all sorts of knock-on consequences. But um, mum was well looked after as a result lived with it for a long time but it's it's a it's a horrible disease um how does it manifest at the beginning what happens well the weird thing you just think oh you know dementia you get forgetful but it's not that it's more tragic it's like a hollowing out of your sense of self your personality and there were a few things that just weren't quite right with mum you know we were living in poland at the time she came out to sears and it's just something a bit off um with her and i couldn't quite put my finger on it and obviously it gets worse the symptoms progress um, and once she was diagnosed, it was a, a kind of, you know, blunt diagnosis with no cure. And that was it. Um, and and over, the, over the 12 years, it, it progresses. And we need to talk more honestly and openly about dementia and what it is, because a lot of dementia charities, it's got like, you know, grey haired husband and wife happily skipping through a field mm. having a good quality of life. There is no quality of life at the end. It's horrific. You're bed bound. You're incontinent. You can't eat. You can't drink. Um, you know, you're you don't recognize anyone, you can't speak. Um, that's the reality of dementia. And that's why it's so important that, that we find a cure. It's, it's about plaque buildups on the brain. So I, it's, if, you look, if you look at a scan, you know, it, it basically affects all of it. It's like a, a rotting of the brain. Well, and just again, for my naivety, what is the difference between um, Alzheimer's and dementia? So Alzheimer's is a form of dementia. Okay. And there's different types of dementia. But Alzheimer's is the most common one. I watched, I don't know if you saw the movie Our Father. Did you see that? No, I didn't. No. Oh my God. So it was with Anti Hopkins and it, he had dementia. Right. And it, but it was all through his eyes. And so the oh, movie wow. is based around yeah. him following through his eyes of what he experienced and what's going on. Yeah. And it's confusing though. The movie is confusing, but it's such an insight into what happens to an individual when you get hit with something like that. And it's just horrific. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, to go through something like that and to have all the means to be able to support your mum and say that, but still not find a cure. Yeah. That must feel like a, um, just a complete loss. It's yeah, like, we, it's, we can't do anything. What do you mean we can't do anything? Yeah, There's nothing like, you can do. Especially someone like my dad. He's like, he's a retailer. Right. I'll fix it. You know, there is no fix. And she passed away, um, two years ago. Mm. And, um, and in a way it was a relief, you know, because there's no 
no kind of dignity at the end. So, you know, it was it was definitely time. But um, but that's why it, it I went to Everest um, uh, 12 years ago when she was diagnosed actually with dad. We went to the north side of the mountain, not to get to the summit because we were exactly the sort of people you hear about that have no business being on the mountain. We climbed mm. like more Vamai and that was about it. <laughs> um, so we gave, we gave it a good go, but we got to where we said we would, which was about halfway up. And we raised a million pounds back then for Alzheimer's research. Wow. Um, but now she's passed away. I've got a lot more mountaineering experience. I've got to know Kenton very well and it kind of feels like unfinished business completing the circle and raising a, another million quid this time for the world's first rare dementia sports center which is actually in london but you're and also <coughs> you're doing kenton but you're doing it in three weeks trying to <laughs> yeah and it really takes like three months or something doesn't it do uh yeah traditionally three months so, so we're you're... gonna try and compress that down to Three and a half weeks, probably. What does so? What does that mean? So, so you, you basically you're doing all the training at the moment. Yes, doing all the training. There's no kind of sleeping in hypoxic tanks or anything like that. I am taping my mouth up at night, which is a little bit weird. Maybe shouldn't talk about that. Wait, that's nothing to do with Everest yeah, training. Yeah, exactly. That's another thing. <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> so you 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 duct tape it. Yeah, because it's about nose breathing so, and getting used to kind of less oxygen, making more efficient use of the oxygen that you oh have in your, God, your body. That- so. Stuff. Is it claustrophobic? It, it is so weird when you first do it. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's horrible. But then the mountains, yeah, there's great beauty to, to these huge mountains. And people like Kenton, it's his backyard. It's his manor. He's super relaxed. But there is something, you know, it's quite anxiety inducing when you're up there. You know, all the kind of, you know, all, all the robes of success and, and status are just stripped away. And you're just on that mountain with your thoughts festering at altitude like the worst non-white wine hangover you can imagine. And and that's that's the reality of it. But that's part of the challenge, you know. It'll be grim, but especially the way we're doing it in a, in a very rapid way. But um, I, I again, it's about never giving up and, and pushing yourself and trying to do what you can. Do, do, does it, raising the money is amazing and doing that, but is there something within you that is that sort of risk taker? And you and you quite like those challenges for yourself. You go, right, this is a challenge. I, I, I need to do that. Do you have that sort of bug in you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I've never been like into traditional sport, but I do like, you know, I do a lot of surfing. That's I know guy from Blue Earth Summit. Um, so big surfer and a lot of climbing, rock climbing, mountaineering, high altitude stuff. Um, I think actually for me, it's really important because it's, it's a form of, um, kind of flow state and mindfulness, you know, when, mm. when you're kind of switched off and, and it doesn't, you know, no one gives a fuck. It, like if mm. you're like, Iceland or you know CEO or whatever you are like it's just you on the mountain I think that is really really healthy for someone like me uh to take myself outside of that comfort zone and because it's so easy now to just like stay in my little comfort zone in my you know in, in my ivory tower and yeah. I don't want that I want to keep feeling uncomfortable we had Wim off from the podcast and um it was amazing because I was trying to get out of him different stuff. I said, so why do you do this? Why do you put yourself in, you know, these sort of cold waters? He said, well, why don't you try it? And I was like, oh God, I, I just don't really want to wake up in the morning and just go and have a cold shower. I don't want to do it. And he said, just give it a go. Why don't you do it for a month? Just do it for a month. Be uncomfortable for a month. Mm. Why don't you do it? And I went, all right, fine. I'll do it for a month. First week, every single day, get up, cold shower. I was like, this is just terrible. Why am I doing this? Stuff? Second week, I was like, this is all. Third week, my sleep got better. My anxiety was down. Yeah. My stress was down. And there is something about the fact in our current situation that we're living in this comfort 
and 100%. we put ourselves and we have to but we don't want to, right? No. We have everything in our, you know, one click and we can get something delivered. It's too easy. Everything yeah. is too easy, it's right? It's too easy. And three words for me sum it up. Comfort stops growth. You know, 100%. So um, it's, it's, it's important for, like, whatever your discomfort is, you know, to push yourself, to challenge yourself. I think it's really important for, for growth. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I want to take it back to also with Ison because what you're doing with Ison is just uh, is is amazing, and you've had some criticism as well about it, right? Oh, tons! Ton. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and because <laughs> your 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 journey with it is amazing. The fact that you are focused on sustainability, you're yep. trying to get rid of all palm oil. Yes, which I I think is just fantastic. Thirteen thousand. Um, uh, trying to get rid of thirteen thousand tons of plastic. Thirteen thousand tons um, of plastic, and we're we're just under halfway there now. So. Uh, you're you're reducing the frozen section because uh, cost of living, and so you're trying to drive down the energy uh, crisis. Mm. Uh, all of these things, you've come under loads of criticism as well. Trying to do good, <laughs> but you still get criticised because they're like, "Well, you're doing this and that." Yeah, I want to focus on criticism first. How do you deal with the criticism? And I what love criticism it. I have? love it. I embrace it, and I think maybe that's something about feeling uncomfortable as well. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, fuck you. I'm. I don't care. Like, if I put my head above the par- parapet, you know, you can try and shoot me down. But if what you're doing comes from a position of integrity you know i don't care if some shitty journalist is going to try and trip me up or wrong foot me like yes uh, we make tons of mistakes and for every 10 plastic trials i mean we have hundreds of them at any one time in terms of reducing plastic we have about nine out of ten abject failures and and it doesn't work and we have to take a step backwards and then we iterate and try again but that's part of the process and it probably goes back to this culture we have where the media kind of gotcha is so powerful, particularly in this country, that... Yeah, why is it like that? I don't know. I don't know. And and now there's something... We've obviously heard of greenwash, but there's actually something, you know, I've heard about amongst my peers, which is green hush, which is like, you know, you, you don't want to put your head above the power of pet and set an audacious goal, because if the moment you fail, you'll get absolutely lambasted and they'll come really? after you. So, so it stops prefer, actually people doing this? Yeah, stops those big, hairy, audacious goals. But... um. You know, I I think um, I think you've just got to be honest and open. And I've learned mistakes and I've learned lessons along the way. And I think the one thing I've learned is just like total, utter, complete transparency, always, you know, at every stage of the journey. Yeah. And then, you know, who's who's going to tell me off for trying? How hard is it to, especially something, how many stores do you have? 800 stores? We've got a thousand. A thousand no, over stores. Over a thousand, yeah. So you have a thousand stores, retail stores across the across the country? Yep. Um I know how difficult, you know, if, if you're, you know, we're, we're a vegan company, Candy mm-hmm. Kittens, we always strive to make the best sweets possible. I understand that if you see other confectionery companies, they find it so hard to change the whole business model. They don't, yeah. you know, they're not vegan. They do their own thing. For you guys to change your whole business mentality, that is, I mean, that's like, you know, that's 40 years or whatever it is of, of business you're trying to completely change. How hard is that? Yeah, it is. There's pros and cons, right? So being a smaller business, you can be more agile. You can bake in that kind of, purpose right from the start but then of course it's so much more difficult to negotiate to scale um and but but i think it's interesting if you look at iceland um 
you know, every everyone has a an image of us. And I always say we're the Marmite company, you know, half the population wouldn't be seen in our stores. That's a reality. Um, but uh, for 5 million customers, we are um, absolute kind of, you know, week in, week out place where they go. And we've always tried to do right by them and by the communities that, that we serve. So um, 20 years ago, my dad, I mean, he wouldn't call himself an environmentalist, but he, um, in his own way, like he's been a long-term Greenpeace member. He was learning about gen genetically modified ingredients, which were coming into this country. And he said, no, Iceland is going to have no GM in any of our own label products. At the time, he was laughed at. He was derided. It said technically impossible and also completely unnecessary. But he did it, and all the other competitors followed suit, and it's made the UK's food almost completely GM-free to this day. Wow. So we've been doing stuff like that. We took out CFCs from refrigeration in around 2000 because there were concerns about the hole in the ozone layer, yeah. which actually is one of those few positive environmental stories, which actually has largely been healed. Um, we were the first to do that. We were selling um, fridges and freezers, which were commercially endorsed by Greenpeace, which is like the only product they've ever commercially endorsed. So we've always done it our own way, but we've done it for our customers. You know, we, we've done it in a way that, that we think where we can have real impact. You know, yes, we got out of palm oil. Why, why haven't we got out of soy, which everyone said, you know, you, mm. okay, you're chopping, you've, you've made a small effort in terms of not chopping down Indonesian rainforests, but look what's going on with the soy that's probably fed into your chickens and that's causing deforestation in the Amazon. Totally true. And I'm not, I'm not proud of it. I'm not happy about it, but we can't affect change. We've looked into it. We can't do a palm oil on soy for lots of different reasons. So I think it's about doing what you can, where you can. And we're great at being a corporate activist, throwing down the gauntlet from the outside of the club. And we're only 2% market share. We've got 4 billion pound turnover, but actually we're tiny in the context of 4 billion, 4 billion. Yeah. But we're, we're tiny in the context of the UK food market. And actually you know, we, we get way more than 2% in terms of a share of voice because we have a face and a personality and we, you know, speak up. It's amazing. I, one of the things that I try and follow, and I think social media does this really badly, right, is that social media you're constantly comparing to other people all the time. So you're constantly liking other people and actually it ruins your unique sense of yeah. self. Your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal, whatever you want it to be, it ruins it, right? Because you're looking at everyone else achieving things. You're like, well, I'm never going to do it because they're better than me in every way. It's very hard to stay in your lane. And I heard this thing the other day, which is where if you watch kids at sports day and they're running the 100 meter race, it's the kids that look left and right are the ones who always lose. You've got to keep fake focusing on your lane and going straight forward. People don't do that. But it seems like you guys are doing that. You're not focusing on what other people are really doing. You're saying, this is what we're doing and we're going to go for it. That mentality is tricky to have. I think it's unique. How do you, how do yeah. you not focus on what other people are doing? I think partly we're... Because we're a private business, we're a family business. I would say if I was the boss of Tesco, I'd be sacked by now because, you know, we're going to get out of plastic. Well, you're loading up a load of cost onto your, mm. your business and it's technically impossible, but I don't care. You know, so is removing palm oil, so is removing GM and we can set these goals. Um, so I think being a private business enables us to think long term, but also be long term greedy. I mean, like there's a total reason why we are giving away 10% to anyone aged over 60 every Tuesday, helping our customers with the cost of living crisis by freezing all the one pound lines, giving away 30 pound vouchers to the most vulnerable pensioners. It's because they'll remember in the good times, when once we're out of the cost of living, how we looked after them in the bad times. And that's why being long-term greedy, like for us, totally works. And that's why we have that long-term mentality because we don't have to care about what, what some like 
teenage scribbler in the city thinks about last quarter's results. We are only answerable to ourselves yeah. as shareholders. I love that. It's so, it frustrates me right now. And I have a buddy of mine who... Um, so, so one of the best pieces of advice I got told was businesses pay in two currencies, cash and experience. Take the experience first, the cash will come later. Yeah. It's so true, right? And, yeah. and I have a friend who just focuses on the short-term goal, short-term um, gratification. I'm like, that's just the wrong thing to do. Yeah. You, you need long-term, always, always, always. And for some reason, we live in this generation, especially in the UK now. Mm. You know, there's something in the UK called third-generation curse. A grandfather uh, makes it, uh, a son loses it, a uh, grandson has to rebuild it. <laughs> and that's what happens. And in German yeah. German businesses, you know, 53% of German businesses still family-run. It's generational wealth because they're not greedy in any way. They, exactly. It's long-term. Amazing. It's yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. And, and there's something what you guys are doing as well. It's like, no, we're looking at the long-term goal. Yeah. It's not about for our personal... Yeah, look, we, you know... You can pay for your rent or mortgages or pay for the petrol stuff like that, but it's actually that long-term goal. And more people in the UK should be looking at that rather than instant gratification. Yeah. I mean, we try and we're not perfect. Sure. But I, I think it's fair to say in any walk of life, short-termism is the enemy and is undoing a lot of good things around society. I mean, if, you know, if you look at like the climate crisis and um, a lot of the social issues that we face as a society, a lot of it comes from short-termism. And that's in mentality and social media. It's also in the money markets. I mean, the average shareholding on the FTSE um, uh, stock exchange is 27 seconds. And I don't... Get out Yeah, exactly. So I don't think that person or more likely computer gives a shit about their corporate social responsibility or what that their long-term... That is wild. Yeah, exactly. It's just computer trading. And that, that's, that's the way it's going. You know, instant returns, instant gratification. Um, and, and but no that, one's building anything then. No, no, they're just churning and, you know, making money out of money or losing a lot. I, I want to talk about sustainability as well because you know one of the things that we get especially for candy kittens is it's like okay why are you not plastic free why you know and for us um you know we're a b corp we're uh, oh, wait, oh brilliant yeah brilliant i love b corp I think oh great. my god but it took yeah. a it took a long quite it's a hell of a hurdle to get because my property business is a b corp we build timber frames Do carbon you? neutral office buildings yeah and how um, hard was that for you to to, to become a b corp I, I, it took two years took us two years yeah which, which is a great thing, but, yeah, it's but we're, and we get a lot of. I, I speak to a lot of young business owners like, oh, we want to become a B Corp, and I always say that's great. I wouldn't focus on that at the beginning because you need mm. to almost employ someone in order to become a B Corp. Which, yeah. And it's and for people who don't know, it's basically people, planet, and profit, all same equality, right? It's, it's, we're all looking for the, out for the same thing. Um, but you know, one of the th arguments we get is that we tried plastic-free bags. It's it's tougher to do. Our shelf life in terms of our sweets goes down to about two months rather than twelve months. Yeah. Uh, you know, you were talking about getting rid of plastic for you guys. How tough is that on margins? And if you could explain it to people, actually becoming recyclable and becoming plastic free is really hard. It's, it's really hard. I didn't yeah. realize how hard it was actually when yeah. we started out on the journey. Um, and some of the solutions technically aren't invented yet. So bacon, you have to have it in a gas uh, modified atmosphere packaging and that has to be kind of gas flushed. And, and there's only really plastic that can seal that strongly that, that can do that job. So some of the technological advancements that I thought were coming online have been a bit slower. Some of our competitors have been slower to kind of join our philosophy, albeit I'm delighted now that the whole conversation has changed. I think you've also had uh, the legend that is Sean Sutherland on your pod as Dude, well. She she's is amazing. The uh, greatest. Yeah, she's she, how wild is she? She's absolutely brilliant. But you know, she she will say um, it, we can't recycle our way out of the plastic yeah, you can't. pandemic. And um, reusable, she says, it has to be reusable. Yeah, now. and that the problem big business was facing uh, was doing it was 
we, we were saying that, you know, you, you can recycle your way. We were pushing the, the kind of guilt onto consumers. Say, well, you just need to wash out that extra yogurt pot and, and the climate crisis will be solved. And actually, only 9% of plastics actually gets recycled uh, globally, which is, which is insane. And the myth of recycling, I mean, up until a few years ago in this country, the, even that 9% that was recycled was actually just sent to China to be burned. You know, that's what recycling was. So um, anyway, listen to the Sean. Sean no, no, but there. I like this, but it's so true. Yeah, right? it's so true. So it, it's difficult, but um, it's also more expensive. So all of the alternatives cost more money. When you consider some of our demographic, they might only have... £25 a week to spend to feed their entire family. So they care that there's going to be more plastic by weight than fish in the sea by 2050. They care about the plight of the orangutan in the Indonesian rainforest, but they cannot afford to pay a penny more for it. Um, so that's a real challenge. And it's a challenge that requires systemic thinking. As a business, you know, foregoing some margin and swallowing some profit expectations so that we can do the right thing, so that we can be long-term, but also working with our supply base as well. Um, and it, it is difficult, but it's really exciting because I'm sick of retailers that charge more for premium price products to, to make you feel good so that you can save the planet. It's just a middle-class echo chamber. Mm. And what we need to do is democratize environmentalism, make it like relevant and relatable to everyone because then that's scalable. And that's really exciting. So if, if I can come up with solutions for my customers that won't cost them a penny more, that is really, really exciting because that's how we'll scale uh, solutions to the climate, climate crisis. I saw, I, I'm not going to say the retailer, but it was just... <laughs> Don't swear. I know, that's I, know, I saw a retailer. Uh, we, I, I went into a, a, a retail just to, to do some work and um, it was before they had opened. And their cards, it was it was a Christmas time, I think, or maybe Easter, Christmas mm. time. And they said that all the cards were plastic free and they were just taking them out of the plastic things and putting them uh, on. Yeah, exactly. And I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And that's where, you know, it's, it's got to be, it can't be disingenuous. And, yeah, and you have to be authentic. You've got to be authentic. Because otherwise you're just fucking around. Like you're not even exactly. doing what you're meant to be it's doing. It's a sleight of hand. And customers now, particularly in the digital age, like they'll spot it a mile off. Um, so you, you can't kid a customer. You, you really can't. Did you say that some of your customers have 25 pounds a week on food? Yeah. As a, as a household? Yeah, as a family. Wow. Yeah. So basically, less than five quid a day? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's the reality. Um, they were struggling to make ends meet before the cost of living crisis. And now, obviously, with, with energy costs and, and petrol costs and everything else, it's, it is a real, real challenge. But we can kind of step up. You know, our, our time is now as a business because mm. we are embedded in those communities and, and we can help them the, the, the best we can. But, but it, is, it is difficult and it is concerning um, because, you know, f food is going up as well, of course. I want to just talk about culture quickly because culture within business is amazing. Culture within family, whatever it is. How important is culture to you? It's everything. It's our secret weapon. If you think of Iceland, it shouldn't exist. We're like a convenient but not a convenience store high street food reseller there's no high street food retailers yeah, yeah, anymore. Exactly, yeah. we we specialize in frozen food but only a third of our sales are frozen food i mean it's a mess of a business model that you wouldn't write down on paper but yeah. we've evolved over the years into what it is today and our secret weapon as a you know with our little pea shooters against tesco who are 10 times bigger our secret weapon is our culture um, because yes, we're a family business, but actually I say we're a business of families. You know, we've got generations of, of, uh, families that work for us and 
I, I, as I keep saying, they're embedded in their communities. On average, our customers only live three miles from our shops. Uh, our 25, uh, 30,000 staff, they live within walking distance of the shop, wow. many of them. And and that's why they're serving their, their friends, their families, their neighbors. And, and that is really important. It's quite intangible. But our personality is why customers come to us, but also why people want to work for us as well. We're irreverent. We're mavericks. We, you know, we do the impossible. We take our store managers on completely wild parties, you know, that are, that are like, you know, above and beyond what any of the competition do. We flew them all to Disney World in, in Florida uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, for a, for a big party and uh, educational, <laughs> yeah, yeah, party. that's like uh, when the teacher brings in Crocodile Dundee and, yeah. you, and you go like, oh, this is geography. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we like having fun, you know, and that irreverence is is really important to and the key to our um, survival. It's been an unlikely story of success. But who taught you that? Your dad? Yeah, I think so. I've you know, it, it's very much his personality. His DNA is in the business, and obviously for me. That's why I am glad I did my own thing, because it's impossible to emulate that. You can add to it. You can do things in your own way. But it's so important as the boss's son, A, to work as hard as you possibly can. And I think you do have to work harder just to prove your worth. Um, but secondly, um, yeah, to, to very much have a sense of like why you're doing it for yourself, you know, and not try and emulate uh, other people. I totally agree. I think culture is everything, and and also I, there's a uh, Mark Price. I think you have you met? Yeah, I know Mark. Yeah, Mark, Mark's great. Yes, yeah. he has, he has uh, engaging work. It's all about the happiness within workplace. He's great. He's amazing, and he he basically said that you know it's 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 proven to be true that if you have happy employees, you get better results. Well, we're um we're uh, uh we're unique in that we're a, a northern discount food retailer. We pay our, you know, I'm not. Proud of this at the moment, but we pay our, our frontline colleagues pretty much minimum wage as that's gone up and up um, because we can't afford to pay any more at the moment. And yet we've been voted the best big company to work for in Britain twice. Um, and one of the questions in the survey was, how well do you think you're paid? Not how much are you paid, but how well do you think you're paid? We came top, Goldman Sachs came second. And Get out of here, shut yeah, up. Yeah, and, but it's about... It's about feeling valued and it's, yes, it it's, is. it's about like feeling a sense of worth and purpose. And yeah, we, you know, we, we can't, we can't pay top dollar at the moment, but we can give 15% off as a permanent discount or we closed on boxing day, you know, just shut the entire business so that we can give our, our staff a, a day off. Um, we can do incentives and giveaways and mad parties. Like we say, we can do other stuff and it's about making people feel part of that family. Mark Price did also say that he said that people would rather be congratulated and validated for their work than actually being given a pay rise because mm. pay raise is sometimes pretty minimal and they go oh here's a pay rise but actually just being told you're doing a great job and being you know looked after that's what people want yeah 100 percent. it's absolutely right what is um Iceland's hack? big hairy audacious goal <laughs> is that a too big a question yeah it is, I suppose it is really I mean it's certainly in um the sustainability space we've we've set um, lots of them, um, but actually, and we and we do have some some really tough ones. Obviously, eliminating plastic, um, being um, net zero by twenty forty, and halving food waste as well. Um, wow. So there's a lot of those. But Jesus, I, those are massive. Yeah, they're goals. massive. They're massive. massive um, but I think the the mentality that we have always had as a business is doing it right, which I know sounds like a sex manual, but <laughs> it's actually true. Like doing it right 
in terms of just trying to do the best you possibly can for uh, your staff, for the communities, for the planet now as well. Um, and we've always had a sense of that. You know, when dad was fitting out the sh um, shops back in the day, some some rival resellers, they just changed the locks and and then, you know, opened the doors. But we always refitted. We, you know, we always wanted to do the absolute best we could and build a business that's not built on, on sand, but actually has some real foundations to it. Amazing. Richard, also, um, I read somewhere that you um, have a new admirer. <laughs> um, Her Royal Highness uh, said that uh, you were super fit and uh, she got melted by you. Yeah. Is that right? Well, I mean, the poor woman was just probably commenting on the fact I was training hard. Uh, she came into to a, a store and uh, and she said, oh, <laughs> she said, yeah, you're looking super fit. Um, and we uh, we had a nice chat. That is quite flirty. <laughs> My wife described it as coquettish, which I had to look up. But um, what is coquette? What is that? Oh. Flirty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, anyway, it, you know when you just want to pause time because it was like, did HRH just call me super fit? That's ridiculous. That's anyway, the next thing I know, the Daily Mail the next day, um, the man who melted Kate, who is Richard Walker. So obviously, the first thing I do is send it all to uh, the lads whatsapp group yeah yeah great because we meet once a year and have a vote on the biggest legend of the year and we've only just met actually in december but i just sent them that and said sorry but unless like, i've won i've won unless one of you is about to go uh kite surfing with barack obama or something <laughs> i've won let's not even meet just... i like i also like the picture of you as you holding your surfboard that, <laughs> that's the picture in the article it's so good speaking of super fit um okay because you're going up everest is there anything that you're going to take up that you're going to place up there or take up there or have you got anything personal that you're going to dink or is that oh so i'm taking marmite and tabasco just in case the uh the food is is unpalatable <laughs> you're taking marmite and yeah. tabasco really yeah, yeah. green one or red one? Oh, red always, red, always. i'm classic you know what are you yeah. gonna so what can you use the marmite for for toast up there uh yeah maybe on chapatis or something i okay. thought yeah, yeah, yeah. I, if times get really desperate i'll just like spoon it out of direct out of the i don't know i don't <laughs> Kenton told me that um, it's pretty hard to go to the bathroom up there. Oh, yes. That was the comment about the length of his, his penis. Versus yeah, yeah. The it's always, Kenton is always talking about his penis to me. Whenever I see him, he's always mentioning his penis. But he said it's hard to go to the bathroom up there. Are you going to eat those biscuits or whatever they are to clog yourself up? So if you go to the bathroom up there. The problem is if you do that, then you, you're, you know, you've got to think long term. Uh, you might just be setting yourself up for something terrible down the line. Because you're so. concentrating for six months. <laughs> oh, my exactly. God. I had a friend once who took eight modium and then he had to go to hospital. Yeah, <laughs> that's horrific. Exactly. No, uh, I don't want to do that. So, no, I think um, I think just he's he's prepared me mentally for the summit day. Like, all oh, the summit, 36 hours, it is gritty and it's horrible. Is that what hell. it is, 36 yeah. hours? Yeah. Um, Straight. With with a lie down in a tent for an hour and a half, two hours, but yeah, yeah, out yeah. Of here. and and it's you know it, it is really out there, um, and that's where you you go into the the zone, the tunnel. That's where he will you know just completely come into his own, and the amazing Sherpa as well. We haven't even mentioned, but you know yeah. they're the ones that make it all possible. So um, yeah, I think it's just sort of staying focused, not taking too much emodium, and getting the job done. Take eight emodium and see what happens. <laughs> That would be. Uh, yeah. And then the article. I, <laughs> what will I do on the summit? I'll curse you. <laughs> uh, 
Um, Richard, I want to say a big thank you for coming on. When are you set going? When are you going on Everest? Uh, I'm going on Monday. Exactly. It's like really close now. It's It's actually happening. It's It's actually actually happening. happening. Are you not? Are you nervous? Uh, do you know, I, I wasn't because I felt ready for it. And like I said, I've done a, a lot of different stuff now, but actually, yes, I'm getting nervous now. And yeah, we fly out to Kathmandu a couple of days there. Then we go to Lukla. We do that classic uh, yeah, trek the walk. to base camp, yeah. which obviously, um, uh, obviously in Finding Michael, there was, you know, there was a- Did you watch my friend's Yeah, it was, it was brilliant. Wasn't it yeah. amazing? Yeah. And, uh, and also to be fair, it, it gives a real sense of what that trek is like to base camp, base camp life. And also the, f- the filming was, it was incredible high up on the mountain. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very real, but Kenton's been brilliant. And, um, you've got to go on. I, I know Spencer wants you on his podcast. So you've got to go on and talk about what your experience when you come back down and all those yeah. different things. You've got to do that. Cause yeah, th- that great. mountain apparently is ferocious as well in so many ways it is and i think it's like anything again with the media and people trying to knock things there's a lot of sour grapes around it you know pictures of cues and it's you know lost its kind of speciality in that place and yes it it is busier than it was but it's firstly i mean it's it's an eight thousand meter peak it is not to be messed with and things can go very quickly wrong um and it is a massive test of of physical endurance but also mental and I think, as Kenton said um, to you, you know, it's it's much more about the mental process and dealing with that. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be a, a fascinating ride. And I'm just looking forward to obviously raising a lot of money for mum and, and for the dementia centre, but actually just trying to soak it up and in, enjoy it and um, hopefully not get too bored of Kenton because it's like one on one in a tent. boring, for, man. Oh, God, he's dull. He is dull. <laughs> Honestly, he's dull. <laughs> just just quickly you know obviously this is raising money for your mum and for amazing uh cause it, but is this also one of a bucket list thing that you're like i now can tick that off yeah for I think sure so. right i think so i mean there are obviously much more technical kind of climbs but having been over a decade ago i i was there and i saw the route to the summit and the expedition leader said you you, you must summit now because if you don't you'll regret it i was like no i want to go home it's fine uh, and he was right. You know, it's, it's pl- played on my mind. So it feels, really? yeah, it feels like unfinished business. And yeah, it's a tick. And then, you know, on to the next. Do you think you're going to cry at the top? <laughs> yeah. Well, as they taught me in therapy, real men cry. So. There we go. I love it. Let's play with it. Richard, thank you so much for coming Thanks, on. Thanks, man. It's been an honor. Um, I really appreciate it. Can we follow you on social media and things like that? Yes, you can. Yeah, on Twitter, um, Ison Richard, or on Insta, Richard Ison. 100%. Richard, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Everybody, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Oh, dude, that was that's fun. Amazing. <laughs> so right. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 